0: Hello again. Welcome to K. Ray Reads to You. It's time for Chapter 3 of The Saturdays. Saturday 3 I can't say I care much for Opry, said Willie Sloper, after a considering silence. His voice sounded a little different than usual as he was lying flat on his back under the second-floor bathroom basin. The joint leaked. Like everything else about the house the creaking, trembling stairs, the peeling wallpaper, and the unobliging furnace, the plumbing had lost its youthful bloom and efficiency long ago. The joints leaked, the hot-water faucets were likely to hiccup, and hot water to come out in brief, scalding bursts, while the cold-water faucet in the office bathroom could never be turned off entirely, but dripped all day and all night, like the moisture on a dungeon wall, wearing a rusty path on the enamel." "'No, I don't care much about Opry,' repeated Willie. "'Hand me the wrench, Rush. "'No, not that one, the other one.' "'Rush, crouching by the tool-kit, "'looked doubtfully at Willie's faded trousers "'and warped old shoes. "'Have you ever been to an opera, Willie? "'A first-class one, I mean.' "'Italian Opry,' replied Willie with dignity. "'That fella Caruso, I heard, "'paid my money and got me a seat "'right up under the ceiling.' "'From where I was settin', Caruso looked about as big as a minna. "'Awful little fellow he was, but he sure had a big voice. "'Whole place vibrated with it, even up where I was. "'And could he hold a note? "'Had me breathing for him double strength, he did. "'I thought, sure, he'd burst his bronicle tubes. "'Hand me the pliers, please.' "'Gee, you were lucky,' said Rush enviously. "'Caruso! Gee, that must have been neat!' "'Well, I never forgot it,' agreed Willie, sitting up red-faced and with grease on his chin. "'But the rest of the show was pretty trashy stuff. I'd heard most of the tunes on the hurdy-gurdy, and the heroine, the girl he was meant to be in love with—why, for a long time I thought she was supposed to be his mother—would have made two of him, and awful homely.' Carrying the tool-kit, Rush followed Willie downstairs to the next job, putty for the cracks around the pantry baseboard. "'The opera I'm going to is German,' he told Willie. "'Siegfried, the name of it is.' "'I ain't no authority on German opery," Willie said. "'The language don't appeal to me. "'What's this Siegfried about?' "'Well, it's about a guy in a forest who lives in a cave "'with another guy who's a gnome.' "'A what?' said Willie. "'A gnome. "'Kind of a dwarf, like Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. "'Kind of a little magic guy, you know.' "'Okay, skip it,' said Willie. "'So what happens? "'Or, wait a minute, Rush, "'you might just take a look around "'and see if there's any cookies first. "'That's what I like about pantry jobs,' Rush said, "'obeying with alacrity, "'and being rewarded by finding the cookie jar "'half full of brownies.' "'Well,' continued Rush between bites, "'so this Siegfried makes a sword "'out of his father's old busted one, "'and then he goes and kills this dragon, Fafner,' And takes a magic helmet and the ring everyone's fighting for. Who's fighting for it? Everybody. Gods and goddesses and this dwarf of Siegfried's and another one named Alberich and giants and everybody. Oh, said Willie, still bewildered. Then he tastes some of the dragon's blood he has on his finger and all of a sudden he can understand everything the animals and birds in the forest are saying. Sounds kind of loony to me, remarked Willie. But go on. So, this one bird tells him a lot of things, and it says that there's a goddess named Brunhilde sleeping on top of a mountain. There's a big ring of fire all around her, and only a hero can get through it and wake her up. So, Siegfried knows he's pretty good, and he climbs the mountain and gets through the fire and wakes up Brunhilde. And then they sing back and forth about love for a little while, and then it's the end. "'Willie shook his head and opened the tool-kit. "'What you see in stuff like that is more than I can understand. "'Well, the music swell. "'Give me a good picture show every time,' Willie said, "'and there's always plenty music on the radio. "'Get to work, Rush, over there in the corner.' "'When Cuffy came down to the kitchen to get lunch, "'she was outraged to find Willie and Rush "'conversing pleasantly over cold, boiled potatoes. "'Willie also had a banana in one hand, "'and the ice-box door was wide open. "'Shame on you,' cried Cuffy indignantly, "'both of you, spoiling your lunches "'and stealing the cold-boiled potatoes "'I was saving to make hash with out of my kitchen.' "'And she brandished a ladle like a sword. "'Okay, Brunhilde,' said Rush over his shoulder, "'and beat it upstairs like anything. "'Willie was rapidly beating it downstairs at the same time. "'After lunch Rush had to hurry.' "'Randy came in as he was furiously combing his hair "'and trying to make it lie flat. "'What have you put on it now?' asked Randy, sniffing curiously. "'On what, my hair? "'Oh, some of Mona's face cream,' grinned Rush. "'I thought maybe it would make it straight, but I guess it won't.' "'Mona will kill you if she finds out. "'You'd better go before she gets a chance to smell you.' "'All right. So long, Ran.' "'So long, Rush. Have a good time.' It was beginning to snow, but Rush got out before Cuffy could catch him and make him wear galoshes. He had to run most of the way for fear of being late, and arrived at the opera house red in the face and out of breath. He bought a ticket in the family circle for a dollar and a half, and then climbed flight after flight of stairs. They were covered with soft red carpet, but still they were stairs. "'Phew! I'm kind of bushed,' Rush thought to himself when he had finally stepped over feet and knees to the seat that was his, number A-64, way over on the side. But he didn't care. He was lucky to have that. After he had folded his coat and stuffed it under the seat with his cap, he had time to look around. His seat was high up near the ceiling, like Willie's, so he had a good view of everything, and it was all just as he had hoped it would be, plenty of gold and red plush and chandeliers and splendor. "'The vast curtain was golden, too, and shining with a costly luster. "'Little black-clad musicians were beginning to creep into the orchestra pit "'far below, like ants, into a sugar bowl. "'Rush leaned out over the sea in front of him, "'opened Father's field-glasses, to which he had helped himself, "'and took a good look at the musicians. "'The man with the kettle-drums kept tapping them anxiously "'and bending down to listen, like a doctor listening to a heart.' The violinists were talking together and gesturing, either with a violin or a bow or both, and Rush watched a solemn man behind a bull fiddle open a little box, take out a pill, and eat it. Above the voices of all the people in the place one could hear squeaks and scrapings, soft thumps, a toot of brass, a ripple of harp-strings— Rush counted thirty-nine bald heads among the downstairs audience. He counted twenty-six brown fur coats on ladies in the boxes. Suddenly the lights were dimmed, and a small man came into the orchestra pit. There was a deluge of applause. The little man turned, and bowed impatiently, turned back to the musicians, raised his baton, and the music began. The world faded away and was replaced by a strange, legendary land of gods and goddesses and heroic adventure. The curtains parted and revealed a huge cave where a small bearded dwarf was working at an anvil. He looked exactly right, all bent double with age and full of sly wickedness. But Siegfried wasn't exactly the way Rush had expected him to be. He sang wonderfully, of course, but he was very fat, "'and when he was forging the sword "'he looked just like a good-natured cook "'making a cake. "'Rush sat back and listened. "'His mouth dropped open "'and his foot went to sleep "'without his ever noticing. "'After the first act was over "'and the singers had taken their bows, "'the lights bloomed up all over the house, "'and Rush, following the crowd, "'found himself in an open space "'full of tobacco-smoke and gabble. "'He was terribly thirsty,' but didn't order anything to drink at the refreshment counter, as he had only a dime left. So he contented himself with five paper cups of water. The second act was even better than the first. The scene disclosed a deep, wild forest, and the yawning black cavern mouth where Fafner, the dragon, lived. Alberich, another wicked dwarf, and the Wanderer, a god in disguise, met and sang an argument, and after a long while, when they had disappeared, Siegfried bounded on to the stage with Mime, the first dwarf, behind him. Finally the dragon came clanking out of the grotto, eyes gleaming with electric light bulbs and smoke issuing hotly from its nostrils, singing all the while in a musical bass voice. Rush, who was interested in all mechanical devices, looked at Fafner through the field glasses. Every t- <clears throat> whoops Each time it sang, the dragon's jaws opened and shut like a crocodile snapping at flies, and during a quiet moment a business-like voice deep inside its stomach was heard to say, Okay, Bill, hold it. The music was wonderful. Swell was how Rush thought of it. It was made up of so many different kinds of music. There was a music that was Siegfried's own, and another for his sword, and another for the wanderer, and the forest bird, the dragon, Valhalla, the golden ring, and the fire. All of them were woven together, mysterious and wide and deep, and each of them came flashing out from time to time, like—puh—and each of them came flashing out from time to time, like unexpected rays sparkling from a precious stone. In the second scene of Act Three, Siegfried penetrated the fiery circle, and wakened Blenhilde, who was clad in glittering mail, and proved to be the general shape and size of a caterpillar tractor. It was funny how you could forget it when she began to sing. The two great voices mingled joyously with the great music, and at last it was over. Thousands of hands were beaten together, and the man next to Rush shouted a bravo, that smelled of garlic. Siegfried and Brunhilde took repeated beaming bows, and Rush clapped till his palms burned, thought of yelling bravo himself, thought better of it, and disentangled his coat and cap from under the seat. Stuffing the program in his pocket, he made his way down the many stairs, borne along in the slow, chattering tide of the crowd. Inside his head he kept listening to Siegfried's special music, Ta ta, "'Ta! ta 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 "'When I grow up, I'm going to have an automobile with a horn that plays that,' he decided. "'Wonder why nobody ever thought of it before.' When he came out of the opera house, Rush was astonished. The world was completely transformed. Snow had been falling furiously for more than three hours, and still was. Drifts were piled high along the sidewalk, the air was dense with flakes, and Rush felt happy. "'this was the best snowstorm of the winter. "'He pushed his way past the people "'who were waiting for cars and taxis, "'turned up his collar, "'and went out into the blizzard. "'In no time at all his feet were soaking wet, "'and he loved it. "'He took a long time going home "'and made a great many detours. "'In the side streets the air rang "'with a noise of scraping "'as men cleared the sidewalks. "'All other sounds were furred "'with quiet by the snow.' THE HOOTS OF BOATS CAME MUFFLED FROM THE RIVER, CARS PASSED NOISELESSLY, AND PEOPLE WALKED WITHOUT A SOUND IN THE FEATHERY DUSK. RUSH'S FOOTSTEPS HAD A SOUND, THOUGH, HIS SHOES WERE SO WET THAT THEY SQUELCHED JUICILY WITH EVERY STEP. ON East 37th STREET THERE WAS A COMMOTION. A HUGE LONG-NECKED MACHINE ON WHEELS WAS SUCKING UP THE PILED SNOW ALONG THE CURB. IT WAS ACCOMPANIED BY A DUMP TRUCK. "'The machine would move its long neck, turn its head, "'and blow the snow it had consumed into the truck. "'Then both would move slowly along again. "'It's just like an animal,' thought Rush, looking at the machine. "'Like Fafner,' he thought, and began to laugh. "'For a long time, maybe all his life, "'snow machines and threshers and derricks and steam shovels "'were going to remind him of Fafner.' "'Rush watched the machine for a long while,' Forgetting all about the time, he had companions as fascinated as himself: a man with a burnt cigar that smelled, two little kids in snow suits, a grocery boy with a cart full of packages that people were waiting for, and an old man with earmuffs. Dreamily, they all progressed along the block, following the machine, stopping when it stopped and staring as if hypnotized. Used to take a team of hosses pulling a snowplow to do a job like that," said the old man. "'And hundreds of fellas out shovelin' the way. "'Nowadays they do it all by machinery. "'Ain't no work for nobody. "'That's what's the trouble with this world. "'I could have told em. "'The man with the cigar put it back in his mouth and chewed it. "'Rush wondered how he could. "'I suppose you probably can remember the blizzard of 88,' "'he said sarcastically around the cigar.' "'Sure can,' replied the old man. "'I weighed two hundred and eleven pounds them days, "'and the wind knocked me flat as a haddock "'at the corner of Fifth Avenue and Twenty-Third. "'Couldn't run the hoss-cars, it was so bad, "'and they was men diggin' all over the city. "'None of these here machines that only employs a couple fellas.' "'The cigar-man laughed a short, unsympathetic laugh, "'more like a cough than a laugh, and departed. "'Rush didn't like him.' Out of the dark, a woman's voice shouted, "'Ernie and Walter! How many times I have to tell you to come in!' Ernie and Walter turned out to be the two little boys in snowsuits. They left reluctantly, walking backward most of the way, and staring at the machine. "'Yes, sir,' said the old man, "'you youngsters is brought up soft. Too much machinery, too many motors and engines and ye electrical devices.' "'Well, they ain't no motor on this here cart,' said the grocery boy gloomily, and off he went, pushing it through the snow, and whistling the piercing, tuneful way that only grocery boys seem to know how to do. "'Look at that now,' continued the old man grumpily, staring at the p- staring at the snow-removal machine. "'You'd swear it was almost alive. Sometimes I think a day will come when these fellows build so much machinery that it will revolt. Turn on em and swallow em up.' It'll be like the days of the dinosaurs all over again, them snow machines grazin' on the snow, and greyhound buses chargin' over the countryside with no one drivin', and airplanes swarmin' like honeybees, and roostin' in the skyscrapers. I kind of like machinery, Rush admitted. Some day I'm going to design and build it, engines and things, lots of stuff. The old man looked at him severely and shook his ear muffed head. "'They'll swallow you up,' he said. "'They'll swallow you up along with the rest of civilization.' Rush's feet were becoming cold as well as wet, and he thought maybe the old man was a little crazy, so he said good-night and started off in the direction of home. The old man was still talking. To himself or to the machine, you couldn't tell which. Rush turned the corner. He began to wish he hadn't lingered so long. His teeth were chattering in his head but just as he was about to break into a run, he saw something that made him stop. Across Lexington Avenue, with its heavy traffic, a dog was running. Running wildly, like a small, flickering shadow, he narrowly escaped extinction beneath the wheels of two large trucks and a taxicab. "'Here, pup!' yelled Rush, as the dog reached his side of the street, and the taxi-driver, who had missed hitting it only by applying the brakes with a tearing squeal, "'leaned out his window and bawled furiously. "'Don't you know enough to keep your dog on a lead?' "'He isn't mine,' Rush tried to explain, "'but the cab was departing, its tail lights looking indignant, "'and the dog was halfway up the block. "'Rush began to run after it. "'Nobody else seemed to be paying any attention, "'and you couldn't let a lost dog go barging around a city at night "'and in a snowstorm.' "'Here, pup, come back,' called Rush, and then he tried whistling, but the dog never even paused. It turned left into a side street with Rush hot on its heels, and when it ran down some steps into the snow-filled area-way of a vacant house, Rush cornered it. "'Here, boy,' he said wheedlingly. "'Come on out. Come on, pup. I wouldn't hurt you.' He approached it with his hand outstretched for encouragement, and to his delight the wet and shivering dog suddenly raised a front paw and placed it in the hand. Rush's heart was won forevermore. "'You're a smart guy,' he told the dog admiringly. "'You come on home with me, and I'll give you some supper. "'Come on, puppy, come on.' The dog, which had been trembling against the iron grating, made, its, made up its mind about Rush. Its tail wagged tentatively once, twice, and it gave a short conversational bark. It was a smallish dog, with long ears and large melting eyes. Not quite a thoroughbred face, but much better, one that was full of character. It was hard to tell what colour he was, for he was so dirty and wet. His longish fur clung together in damp strings, and he had no collar. Rush had never seen a dog he liked better. "'Come on, boy,' he coaxed. "'then he picked up the shivering stray and held it close. "'All its ribs were sharp beneath his hands. "'Everything's going to be all right now,' he kept saying. "'I'll hide you in the cellar till Cuffy gets used to the idea. "'Willie Sloper's going to like you, and you'll be warm down there, "'and I'll find you a bone, too.' "'The boy and the dog were equally wet and dirty by this time. "'The snow still fell swiftly, and Rush's shoes were so wet "'that they squelched louder than ever.' The dog shivered in short, hard spasms, and gave Rush's ear a lick with his warm tongue. It was a long walk home, and the dog grew heavier with every block. At the house Rush hesitated. He didn't want to go in by the front door, partly for fear of muddying the carpet, but mainly for fear of meeting Cuffy or Father before he had prepared them for the dog. A glance through the kitchen window revealed Cuffy charging busily about with pot lids clashing like cymbals. The kitchen door was closed, he was glad to see. The areaway iron gate was also closed and locked, but Rush knew how he could open it. His hand was still small enough to push through the narrow apertures of the grill and turn the knob from the inside. The house door beyond was unlocked, fortunately, and presently he was tiptoeing slushily along the lower hallway toward the "'toward the cellar stairs. "'He had a bad moment when Cuffy threw open the kitchen door "'and released a smell of boiled turnip and a snatch of song. "'Sweet and low, sweet and low,' sang Cuffy, "'at the top of her healthy lungs. "'Wind of the western sea!' "'But she didn't come out, "'and quick as a thief in the night, "'Rush had opened the furnace-room door, "'pulled it to behind him, and snapped on the lights.' he went tiptoe down the iron cellar steps into the great warm subterranean room where the furnace crouched glaring amid its coiled tentacles of pipe like the minotaur in the labyrinth. Rush remembered the old man with earmuffs and what he had said about the world of machines. Boy, I'd hate to be left alone with this one when it came alive, he thought. It looks like it could be mean. At the far side of the furnace room were the wash tubs. Into one of these he put the dog. Then he took off his cap and coat and jacket, letting them fall in a drippy heap on the floor. "'I hate to do this to you, pal,' he told the dog, "'but I want you to look handsome when Cuffy sees you. Everything depends on it. She'd never let you stay if she saw you like this.' Then he rolled up his sleeves, turned on the water, reached for the brown soap, and began to scrub The dog stood without a sound, trembling wildly, and gazing with horrified eyes at Rush, as if to say, "'This is the most awful thing that has happened to me yet.' He made Rush feel so guilty that he had to keep apologizing. "'Gee, I'm sorry, honest I am, but it's for your own good, I promise you it is.' Nevertheless, in spite of his apologies, when Rush stooped to pick up the soap which had flown from his hand, the dog, with a scramble and a leap, had cleared the wash-tub, and, covered with lather, was streaking up the stairs. Rush, scarcely less wet, went racing after him, calling in a loud whisper, "'Come back! For Pete's sake, do you want to get us both in Dutch?' The door at the top of the steps had not been tightly closed, alas— and the dog pushed it open, and sped down the lower hall. Then there was a crash, a clatter, and a loud cry, all at the same instant, and Rush was just in time to see Randy sprawled on the floor, surrounded by knives, forks, spoons, the tray, and all the salt cellars. "'Where's he gone?' hissed Rush fiercely. "'What was it, anyway? Gee whiz, it came at me like a thunderbolt,' said Randy, getting up. There was no need to answer, for at that moment another cry issued from the kitchen. "'Mad dog!' yelled Cuffy's voice. "'Mad dog! Mr. Mellandy! there's a mad dog!' Rush and Randy flew to the kitchen where they found Cuffy standing on a chair, wild-eyed. "'Get out!' she shouted. "'Lock yourselves in your rooms and call the police or the fire department or somebody.' "'He's not mad,' said Rush dispiritedly. "'The game was up now, he knew. "'Where'd he go?' "'Father appeared in the doorway. "'What's going on down here?' he demanded sternly. "'I tell you he's mad,' insisted Cuffy. "'Covered with foam he was. "'I saw a dog covered with foam.' "'It's just soap-suds,' said Rush sadly. "'I was just washing him, so you'd like him, maybe, "'and I could keep him.' "'What dog are you talking about?' inquired Father blankly. Just this dog I found," Rush explained, all wet and lost, without a collar. Cuffy climbed down off her chair, looking rather foolish. "Where is this dog?" said Father. "I think it's under the stove," Mister Mellandy said Cuffy in a dignified voice. She bent down with a grunt and hauled out the miserable bundle of fur and soap suds. "Well," remarked Father. You must have seen something in him, Rush, but I can't imagine what. He'll look all right when he's clean, Rush said eagerly. I think he's a pretty high-bred dog. I wouldn't be surprised if he's a spaniel. One-third spaniel, I should judge by the looks of him, said father, and two-thirds miscellany. What kind of a dog is a miscellany? asked Randy, already on her knees by the dog. "'He means it's a mutt,' said Rush bitterly. Everything was awful. Cuffy, still red in the face, opened the oven door with a clank, and out came an unbearably delicious smell of chops. It was then that the dog solved the problem. Wet, unkempt, far from beautiful, he walked right over to Cuffy, turned his melting eyes upon her, and sat up on his hind paws, begging.' "'Rush's heart swelled with as much pride "'as if he'd taught the dog this trick himself. "'Oh, how wonderful! "'Oh, Rush, how smart he is!' gasped Randy. "'Cuffy frowned at the bedraggled mutt "'and tried not to smile. "'Begging, dirty rascal,' she said, "'but the way she said it kindled "'a great suffocating blaze of hope under Rush's ribs. "'He looked at his father.' "'He can shake hands, too,' he said. "'Finish washing him,' ordered Father. "'Then feed him. "'When he looks a little less like a half-drowned famine victim, I can tell better. "'Maybe—remember, I said maybe—if no one claims him in the lost and found ads, "'which they probably will. "'Well, we'll see.' "'Boy!' cried Rush, in a burst of gratitude. "'Boy!' echoed Randy, with a leap and two pirouettes. "'You've got to take good care of him, Rush,' commanded Cuffy. "'I don't want no fleas in this house, nor no puddles on the carpets neither. "'Remember that. "'And when you're finished with that dog, "'you go upstairs and take a good hot bath yourself.' "'Rush gave Cuffy a squeeze around her iron-clad waist "'that knocked the breath out of her. "'Gee, you're swell,' he said. "'You're keen.' "'Just as long as you can get something out of me,' Cuffy said, "'and gave him an affectionate shove. "'Go on now, get that animal out of here.' "'Really, after he was clean and dry, the dog looked very nice. "'He was a becoming shade of tan. "'The spaniel in him showed up to advantage. "'His ears were long, and he had a feathery fringe around each paw. "'He turned out better than I hoped,' admitted Father. "'He even has a certain style.' Everybody was pleased with him, but Cuffy made Rush leave him in the basement while they ate supper. Rush could hardly eat, he was so excited, and of course Cuffy had to catch him stuffing bread and bones into his pockets. "'Now then,' said she, "'no use to smuggle things and get them pants all greasy. That dog had a big supper, as you very well know. If you want bones you can come to the kitchen and ask for them, and remember, Rush, he's going to sleep down cellar.' Nevertheless, it happened that, after Cuffy was safely in bed, two feet creaked quietly all the way downstairs, and then up again, with a few soft thumps and ouches. Only the keenest ears could have heard the accompanying patter of four paws. Then all was still. By and by there was a little tap at Rush's door, and Randy came in wearing her blue-and-white striped pyjamas. "'How is he?' she said. Look, whispered Rush. He was on the floor gazing down at the dog who lay stretched out on an old quilt with a bone beside him and his paws crossed. The pads of his paws looked very leathery and careworn as though they had walked a thousand weary miles. As Rush and Randy watched, as Rush and Randy watched the dog, his nose quivered nervously and he whimpered faintly from the distance of his sleep. See, he's dreaming, said Rush. "'looking as much like a doting mother "'as it is possible for a boy of twelve to look. "'Oh, I hope nobody claims him,' breathed Randy fervently. "'I'm going to get down on my knees every night until it's safe "'and pray that nobody claims him. "'What will you name him if they don't, and you can keep him?' "'What will I name him?' said Rush. "'I bet you'd never guess. First I was going to call him Siegfried, "'but then I changed my mind because I found him on my Saturday.' I'm going to call him Isaac. And that's the end of the chapter. You can visit my blog at www.kray.org if you like, and I will uh, talk to you again when it's time for the next chapter.